Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Tallon. Welcome back to Arrest All Mimics, the original thinking and creative innovation podcast. I am Ben Tallon, your host, and we'll keep this one sweet. Uh, if you're coming back, I guess you enjoyed part two of my interview with the art editor of When Saturday Comes, Doug Cheeseman. We're celebrating the 30th anniversary of an amazing print magazine um, that have provided a voice in football that no one else can. And I hope you go and check them out, you know, help them out on the digital front. Go and follow them on all the social media channels. Support the magazine. Go and check it out if you've never looked at it. There's some amazing photography in there, everything from non-league to Premier League. And it's a real, uh, a real different slant on the game. So let us know your thoughts on part one uh, at Arrest All Mimics on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Arrest All Mimics. Go and check out Illustration Limited as ever, um, illustrationweb.com. Go and check out a lot of great illustrators, animators, set design, uh, live drawing, you name it, they've got it. And the team were fantastic help and will sort you out immediately with any queries that you've got. Football stuff. I hope non-football fans have enjoyed the show because it really is a cool organic story of a man finding his calling in such a natural fashion, moving to London without a clue, pitching up at the office. Uh, Funny stories throughout and we're going to continue with that conversation now and talk about where the magazine has gone since Doug's arrival in the mid-80s and takes us right through the 90s and up to current day and we're going to discuss the magazine's position now, print magazines in the age of digital it's uh, it's fascinating stuff and with euro 2016 on the horizon it's apt time to celebrate 30 years of a great magazine enjoy the conversation yeah. <laughs> I mean, we used to get sent a lot of stuff and i have i, I hate to admit it but i, I very rarely replied to a lot of us didn't have time yeah and it would all quite often be people on spec and um all due respect there was something that was really good work but if it didn't if it didn't quite understand the magazine yeah or if it didn't quite understand football it was not going to work yeah. You know, I'll be, you know, well, that goes back to the thing of do your own work, and uh, if you understand a, a product or, or what what that market is, then you're you're off to an advantage. But often people just blanket promote or yeah. just hit up anyone and everything. And it's like, oh no, actually, you need to bring something to this, and especially football that's so um, knowledge driven and so fast moving yeah. that you have to. Especially when Sally comes. Now, I, I I'm knowledgeable. I my interest in football is kind of cultural. It's yeah. cultural and social. It's more sort of. A sort of mindset thing. It's all a bit nebulous, really. I mean, but I do like it. But Andy and Mike, the original editors, they could understand it and disseminate it. So if you pitched up with a slightly half-assed idea, they're just going to go, "Well, if you look at the magazine, it's not yeah. going to work, is it, mate?" You know, okay. Yeah. And they weren't, bru- they weren't rude or brutal, no, but, but, but it was like, you know, we're quite busy. Fact. We're quite busy doing. The- this magazine, yeah, and it's you can see that's wrong. You know, sorry, mate. It was you know, you'd have to save. All right, I think the mag went through quite an evolution process. It was in the early nineties. Yeah. Well, actually, what happened was there used to be a thing called the magazine was starting to become a business, but it wasn't being run as a business because no, there was there was a guy who was publisher. He didn't. I don't think he really wanted to deal with the business. He did. But no, there was filing cabinets were filling up with bills, and we weren't really. None of us had a background in business. Mm. And uh, one of the editors left to move to Australia, and he was a really Met, but I sort of know him well actually. But he was a really good man, and the problem was that um, it left us without a sort of anchor point. So there was three or four, three or four of us doing stuff, and it made the magazine. But we weren't. We, it was a good thing and a bad thing. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't have like a set of accounts. <laughs> we weren't. Things weren't. We used to do ground sales. That's how we got the magazine going. We used to go to grounds with box of magazines and flog them. Yeah. So sometimes we do quite well. We might sell a couple of hundred. So we'd yeah. come home with how much was the magazine then? 
It doesn't seem like a lot of money now, but say you use this issue here. How much was that? 60p. <laughs> you sell a couple hundred of them. Yeah. You've got quite a lot of cash in your, in yeah. your filing cabinet. Eliminating distribution. <laughs> and we were all skinned, so what would happen was... We, it wasn't really accounted for particularly well. I mean, it didn't, wasn't misappropriated, it just wasn't well accounted. Yeah. And if people were a bit broke because there was no wages, we, you know, they would have a bit of a kitty for our sandwiches or something. You know, it mm. wasn't, we weren't abusing the privilege of having earned some money. Yeah. We just didn't know what to, we just didn't have a system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, quite a few of us went on the uh, Enterprise Allowance Scheme. I don't know if you remember this, but it was, ironically, it was a Thatcher thing, which we, I, um, I'm especially pleased that we all benefited from this. We sort of backfired on it. Um, what it was is if you were on the dole, uh, because so many people are unemployed under Thatcher, and she wanted to promote this sort of entrepreneur, entrepreneur culture where everyone would just go on their bike, like Norman Tebbett said they should, and go and um, cycle 500 miles to go and do a shit job for no money. Um, they created this thing where, so well, if you're genuinely entrepreneurial, we'll let you stay on benefits without hassling you, without sort of sending you to a shit job or making you do a restart or whatever, if mm. you prove to us that you're going to do something with your life, we will let you stay on the dole, because it makes our figures look good, because you're not then technically unemployed, you're on a scheme. Uh. It cost them about the same. In fact, it was 40 quid a week. You used to get 40 quid a week on the Enterprise Allowance. And dole by that point was about 28, I remember, because I was on, the, I was on it. Um, so it was a pay rise. Mm. But to get on it, you had to write a business plan. It's go to a couple of open days, uh, with a load of builders usually, because they're all going to go self-employed. <laughs> Uh, and plasters and stuff. So it's quite interesting. You meet some interesting people, actually. Um, again, it's like a real-world experience. Uh, and you had to put some show that you had some money in the bank. I think it was quite a lot. It might even have been a grand, which was quite a lot then. Quite a lot now. Um, so you had to do a bit of blagging. So you had to borrow a grand, probably. So like, if you can get it... I mean, I, I think I borrowed it from my parents, and I'd have paid, and I paid them back. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I got, but I gave them half back straight away or something. It was a scam. You had to show the bank statement they had a thousand quid, yeah. which I'm going to use to invest in my skill set, whatever, some bollocks you put in the thing. Yeah. Um, and it was brilliant because what it happened, it was a thing to get people going who wanted to start, who wanted to be plasterers or wanted to be builders or wanted to be whatever, tradesmen or whatever, who wanted to get started. But for people who were vaguely creative, it meant you could go on the dole for a year without being hassled, uh, get a slight pay rise, uh, and do what you want. Which is back to what I was doing yeah. <laughs> before, which I, I thought, but this time I'll be, I've actually got a reason to do it. This time you existed. I've got a reason, because what it did, <laughs> exactly, yeah. What it meant was that when I could stay on it when Saturday comes, which wasn't paying a wage at the time, we used to take, um, ten, I think we used to take 10p a copy when we sold them at the ground. Yeah. So we'd always have a bit of beer money, because if you sold 50 at 60p, you'd have 30 quid, and I think we used to take 10p in a pound, I was saying, so you'd have three or four quid, which was enough. Mm. to buy a sandwich and a, and a beer and a, and a travel card back in the day you know so it was a little bit of money a little bit of yeah. pocket money um, and you could earn as well you wouldn't you wouldn't lose your benefit if you earned money right okay because with benefits if you earn 50 quid they'd take 50 quid out of your benefits yeah. and it was a mess you know obviously so essentially there was a bit of commitment and then it would be a large part and you, exactly. and you could get it started while you're going that's, that's the irony brilliant. was that lots of people like me sort of slightly sort of left field left wing um creative artsy people thought great that's actually for us mm. uh, and it was ironically it was created by Thatcher thinking it would be an, 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 like a thing for your entrepreneur go ahead entrepreneurs <laughs> but actually it was lazy bastards wow. yeah, yeah, who yeah, actually yeah, wanted yeah. to pursue their creative dream 
Yeah. Well, loads of people who played in bands used to do it because you couldn't make ends meet if you were playing mm. in a band. Like you maybe getting forty quid for a gig, and yeah. there's five of you in the band. <laughs> so yeah. wow. by the time you paid for the PA, you were going home with a, on a loss, you know. Yeah. But if you were on the Enterprise Lounge, Starship mm. Enterprise Lounge, we used to call it. Yeah. Because it was your dream. Your dream yeah. It was a dream package, basically. So what did that mean for the mag? Did that give you a nice grip? What it meant was, I said to the mag, "Look, I'm going to go." There was no the chemistry between everyone there was quite complicated. I can't deny. And I thought, well, I don't know whether I'm in or I'm out here. I'm starting to learn to do layout. It's what I want to do, but you know, there was it was quite a complicated setup. It wasn't a, it wasn't a formal setup. So I said, look, I'm going to go to the enterprise allowance. I've blagged the money. I've gone on the course. Um, I'm on the dough anyway, so I qualify. <laughs> That's the my kind of qualification criteria. Um, so I'm going to do that for a year. And in that year, the magazine really snowballed. Not. Just and it meant that I didn't have to say to them I can't afford to do this, or well, they didn't have to think we've got to pay Doug, yeah, because I had enough money to get by. Yeah, we know we weren't loaded, but we was all right. Yeah, just better than being on the dole, and it was. Yeah, it was. And, and it wasn't all, as good as a proper job, but then you didn't have the restraints of a proper job. But also, like you say, yeah, we all know that those early pivotal years where you get to just take a full time run at it, that's that's the foundations right there. It is, yeah. Mm. But it wasn't. This wasn't like this. I didn't, I didn't have a boss. I didn't have a wage. Mm. We had an office. Uh, we had poles of magazines and stuff, and we um, just sort of improvised. Yeah, but what, but what, what, creative, what great creative license to have? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was good. But we also had a magazine. We were quite disciplined, actually. We still produced a magazine every month. We never miss one. You have to be, don't you? Yeah, but we were. So we hit our deadlines. You know, back in the day, we would. Well, we asked around a bit, maybe sometimes, but we would still get the mag out. I mean, if we worked all night, if we had to, which we did sometimes. Mm. So it was a good experience. And then the, the, the key thing for me is a friend of mine, a super good friend of mine now, a bloke pitched up, like people used to pitch up. Uh, and he, this guy called Lance, he's a really good friend of mine still, actually. He lives in Brighton, ironically. Um, he came in, he said, oh, I'm a graphic designer, I really like the magazine, I'm really into, he supported Millwall, came from down the road. Um, you know, if you need any hand, if you need, he was like a bit ahead of me, he had gone through art school and he was working um, for a publisher so he had proper, he learnt some proper, he'd done what I should have done if I was doing that job, if he'd come by a conventional route. He was a bit older than me, because I'd bypassed the three or four years yeah. where people actually learn their trade by doing nothing and then just going and starting. In fact, people, I was, for a very brief period, I was like ahead of my peer group, because I'd done so little that I jumped, I overtook them all, because they were all still, people who had been to uni hadn't left uni yet or mm. hadn't got a job yet. And I actually had a job, sort of. And then Lance came round. And I clicked with him quite quickly. He was a really nice guy because he had an art background and none of the other lads really did. They were nice, fantastic people, amazingly skilled, amazingly intelligent, but none of them really focused on the art side of it, really, mm. which is the way I was going. And Lance came in and he said to me, um, I was laying out this book, actually. We were doing this book and we said, oh, we're a bit, uh, we could have an extra pair of hands to do this book. And I was just sticking stuff in like I normally do, like oh, chop it up, stick it in, chop it up. So, yeah. Excellent, that's great. I've got the pictures, chop it and he came around, and this, it was like sort of best, it wasn't the best of when Saturday comes, it was like extra stuff. Yeah. So we were quite pushed, because we were doing the magazine ourselves, we were going to do this book as well. Yeah. And um, in fact, that's the layout, funnily enough. This is the first one he did. Wow. And um, I was laying out this layout, I said, yeah, this, I'm going to do this one, it's, it's about uh, Cluffy at uh, Derby, it's going to be great, you know, I just bang this together. And he said, well, important thing with layout, he said, he goes, he goes you can do, th- I still remember this, this is the best advice I've ever had. He said, you can do things much more quickly in your mind than you can with a scalpel and a bit of paper. Because I was going, 
like sticking it down here. Great, got that one done. Yeah. He was saying, if you stop and think about it, you can maybe go through five or six, seven or eight permutations of how you could do this in seconds because your brain can do that. Whereas your hands and a scalpel, <laughs> this sounds really basic, your hands and a scalpel can only go and you've done one thing and you go, oh, it looks all right. Could be maybe could be better, but I've done it now. I've stuck it. Yeah, it's yeah. Like with glue. You know, hand just it's not like digital now, where you can. Yeah. Uh, Apple, yeah, Apple Scrap, X, and do it again. Revert to save yeah. to start again. It was like, oh, we've stuck it down now, and if you pull it up, the, the things used to tear, the, the bromides, the the typesetting panels, bromides, literally made on photographic paper. So you could pull them up if you're careful, mm. but if you fucked it up and you wanted it again, they'd rip. Yeah. Oh fucking hell! I'll have to get a retype set or whatever, and it was like nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So you, you kind of had one. You had more than one hit, but it's best to get it more or less right first time. Yeah. I remember he did that. He said, "Well, we, he goes, we try putting that picture at the bottom and bleed it out because it's got a nice." He, he t- the first time anyone said to me to kind of think aesthetically is what he basically said. So you know, we, you know, the, the way that bleeds out quite nicely because of the sky, it might work better at the bottom. I don't. He can't even remember exactly what he said. And I suddenly thought, oh yeah, if you um, he looked, and he sort of shuffled it around. He talked it through rather than doing it. He said, oh, maybe that would work there. Perhaps we have the heading. Let's go next to another layout where the heading's at the top. Mm. He said, maybe why don't you try this one at the bottom? I thought, oh yeah, heading at the bottom. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I really hadn't occurred to me. So I'd never been taught. Yeah, and I just did it as a kind of efficiency. Yeah, really. and I thought that's really, really. And it just like it was a eureka moment. I thought, hang on, if I stop to think about it, I could actually do this better. Yes, and I could actually look at. And uh, he said, oh, why don't you, you know, I'd chosen a font and it was rubbish. It was completely inappropriate. And I uh, used to do it all the time. And he goes, well, maybe that font's a bit... Uh, I can't remember the word he used. Like, That's a bit 70s or something. It was a bit, um, I don't know. He used a reference point that made it sound really uncool. Hmm. I thought, hang on, yeah, that, I kind of see his point. That does really look quite shit. It was Cooper Black or something, <laughs> which ironically is quite fashionable now. But I yeah. suck it down in Cooper Black. I think, this, yeah. is what, this is, this is going to be it. It's going to be job done and we'll be out of it. He said, uh, Cooper Black, I'm uh, not sure. And I thought, oh, hang on. So you, I could actually use different... This is really this is how basic it was. I thought, oh, I could actually find out about some other fonts and try them out. You know, it could, you know, maybe it could be more of a... It could be a creative process involved. Yeah. And it was a beautiful moment. But I then realised that it could... I'm not saying I suddenly got good. I didn't. In fact, if you look through these magazines, you can see yeah. me learning how to do, try stuff out, making yeah. some horrendous faux pas, whatever. Which yeah. a design... Someone who'd had a proper design background would say, you oh, okay, know, but because it was still a fanzine that was involved, yeah. it didn't matter. I evolved with it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Is that evolution process? And I, I'm always fascinated by seeing people refine skills that they've kind of gone around the houses to learn through a, either an interest or a passion or just an accident. Yeah. And then when you meet that person who can guide you, a little bit of a mentor or, so, or just someone that comes with a different sensibility and background, I think it's um, it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. It just happens, and we just clicks, and we didn't know. Him. And he remained a friend, and we worked together. And um, I've never got to his level because he's he's. He's got. He's properly got it in my view, but I sort of properly copied. Mm. Basically, what I do, my job, or what a lot of art directors' job becomes, is you don't actually really do anything, but you have the ability to process. So you can assimilate other people's creativity, mm. or even other people's technical <clears throat> skills that you maybe don't have, and just appreciate it for a while. Which is why I do occasionally do collage and stuff, for example. And I just thought, oh fucking hell. What you know? This is just great. So what? what do I, <laughs> there's nothing I need to do. Well, why should? Why you know? I thought. Well, what I really need to do is wait for people who really know what they're doing. Yeah. 
and just sort of bring it together. People like myself and these guys who've done these line-up cuts initially wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't know where that work sits. You do it for the love of it, and because you've tra- either you've trained to do it or you enjoy doing it. But then art directors suddenly go, oh, that that worked nice on that page, yeah. and that seems like a very instant sort of, like you said, you, you might feel like you're not doing a great deal, but really you are because you've then you've opened my eyes or his eyes to where that work sits, and then suddenly you think of your own things, and it's yeah. it's just an it's an awakening thing, and uh, definitely. And yeah. we sort of got lucky. I mean. Um, People did come forward with great work, and it was, it was easy, you know, it really was really easy. I mean, we've got to send a lot of stuff. Got a really good artist who'd obviously done the training, but I just knew it wouldn't, no, it wouldn't yeah. work, it didn't matter. And then, so how did, how did the, um, so obviously, again, getting into the 90s now, how did, how did the, um, the, the sort of, the visual language within the, within the game trans, transform, in particularly once Sky came in and... and and that happened. Well, how did that affect sort of the magazine and the image? Um, you know, the images and the, and the, the look of the magazine. And, and well, that. what it meant was that we sort of went a bit out of fashion because um, in the early nineties, football just went mad. It was post Hillsborough thing as well, really, because of the Taylor report. Football started to change really quickly. It took, it took a while, but there were profound changes quite quickly. Old stadiums were out. Um, TV was in. And when Taylor Cummings actually wasn't that impressed with all this stuff, we were quite critical, very always been critical of the authorities, quite critical of the TV, uh, and all of a sudden everyone really, football in, the, football in the 1980s was not a fashionable thing, so if you said you liked football in the 80s, you were a bit of a maverick, and if mm. you were trying to say something positive about it, you were really sticking your neck out. Uh, you know, Thatcher wanted to close football down, effectively, she wanted to bring in ID cards, uh, people were fenced in. She really wanted it. It was it was basically a public order issue. Mm. It was nothing to do with culture or um, saying socially important, which I think it is, or we thought it was. Yeah. Uh, and then it changed. It became something which was commercially exploitable. So people decided football got repositioned accordingly after the 1990 World Cup. England did surprisingly well. Uh, it was that was a, definitely a turning point. And then after that, um, people thought, well, well, maybe we could do something with this football thing. People do actually quite like it. There's, a, there's some human value in it, which we mm. can exploit. And people started yeah. thinking there's some filthy lucre in this. And what happened was T- uh, Murdoch came in and put lots of money in, and, and they created the Premier League to get that money to the people at the top, the, team, the big teams, to get the money circulated amongst the people who could generate the most TV revenue. And so football started to change quite profoundly. Um, and we were a bit out of step. By Euro 96, there was a big wave of football was fashionable again. There was a Premier League, international world, world stars coming to play in England was unheard of. When Ardiles and uh, Villa came to Spurs in 78 after the World Cup, they just won the World Cup. That was an absolute coup. That was like they'd been taken hostage and somewhere in Buenos Aires and forced to come and play for Spurs. It was, like, it was an unbelievable coup. We were a bit out of step, actually. We, we, the magazine expanded as a business because it became available in the news trade um, and the readership increased and the general interest in football snowballed. But we were a little bit still kind of... We evolved with that, with that kind of bandwagon, but we were always a little bit outside of the mainstream and a bit sort of off mainstream. So we had a slightly... In the marketing terms, we were not really... We weren't there. We had yeah. a different mindset. Um, IPC launched 442 magazine there was Total Football few, uh, the big publishers got involved mm. uh, they all started launching their magazines um, football change but Euro 96 all of a sudden there was there was a kind of sort of new labour was coming in there was kind of everyone was getting up about being British 
Britpop and not this necessarily affected the magazine, but the kind of mood in the yeah. there was a strange mood of positivity, false as it transpired. And maybe uh, the celebrity culture in, the ter- yeah. in terms of, I mean, 442 is very interview, glossy photo shoot, right. uh, which is completely the opposite to one Saturday. Mainstream course. culture, that's exactly what it is. I mean, anything that enjoys, it happens in all forms of life, especially music. If something enjoys a bit of um, success as a cult phenomenon, then it will be assimilated into the mainstream, and it may be successful, it may not. If you're a great, well, you could say Arctic Monkeys or something, I don't know, one of a better example. They were fantastic. They were everyone's fantastic secret great band, but it obviously had to, once they were everybody's... Of course, there's a tipping point, yeah, were, isn't there? Yeah. Then they were no longer... They, they crossed over very well, probably. But other people... It doesn't always work. People get assimilated mm. to the mainstream, you've sold out, and you look yeah. rubbish, and... You know, we certainly made some mistakes, I think, over the years. But um, but did so? so did, do you think when Saturday comes, gave you a voice to kind of rip on that? To to you know, did, would you have been quite critical at that point of of this sort of explosion of Spice Boys yeah, and, yeah, and all yeah, that nonsense? That yeah, we, well, we were. But what we would have done is you could go from the magazines and find it. We would do satirical stuff. Yeah. But what happens is, if you're sending out the mainstream, that's fine. But actually, people were a lot quite. The mainstream was becoming a bit all-consuming. There was the we were. I think we were a bit ignored, actually. Which I don't mind. That's perfectly acceptable. I'd rather be ignored and saying. But there's only so much you want to be ignored before sales plummet, I guess, as well. Um, well, we didn't really have a business plan. But the problem was, was when the magazine was most successful in sales term, it was being wasn't being well run as a business because there was no one there with a the business background. So the magazine was quite heavily in debt. So actually, what happened throughout the nineties, we serviced a load of debt. We were in debt to printers, typesetters, and uh, we were in debt to Islington Council. They nearly closed us down. So we, it was quite a fast learning curve, actually. Mm. So we actually had to go into our shelves a bit because we couldn't afford to do anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> by then we had sort of two or three, people, three or four members of staff, an office to rent. And what happened was um, Islington Council came. We were just working in this crap loft in Clerkenwell. Islington Council came round and said, "Oh, what are you doing here?" And we said, "Oh." Like, there's piles of magazines everywhere <laughs> back to non-existent it was like um, <laughs> going to take a wild guess and they said are you residential or business and we thought well shit yeah. unless we could say we're sleeping on these magazines <laughs> quite clearly we're running a business and so obviously well, it transpired that no one told the council that we were there right someone had fucked up mm. I mean you know we weren't being run as a proper business um, in terms of someone having a proper handle on that boring stuff that someone always does and doesn't get thanked for. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, accountant, bookkeeper, person who sorts out the rent, person who negotiates with a landlord, that sort of person. Good skills, mm. don't get me wrong. They're not crap at all of those things. Uh, but so that's why I appreciate the people who can. Yeah. Uh, and um, they said, okay, fine, you're running a business, we can see that. And a bloke wrote saying on the clipboard and walked out. Next day, a bill will arrive for 35 grand. Shit. <laughs> Which, um, to put that in perspective, that was 1995, roughly. I just bought a flat, Sarah and I, I just bought a flat in Brixton for 60 grand. Oh, shit. And um, we got a bill for 35 grand. So if you think of it, in real terms, that was the value of half a flat in London <laughs> bill to find. And, and was that a back dating of, of business We've been there for five years or something, things. and we should yeah. have paid. It was, it was oh, seven grand a year we've been there for. Seven grand a year business rates. Yeah. Um, been there for five years. <laughs> what the hell? So they said, oh, you owe us 35 grand. And this is the council we got to the end of the month. We'll close you down, basically. Um, so it was, a bit of a, it was a bit of a wake-up call, <laughs> should we say. And then we had a proper look at the books. Uh, we'd been overspending 
I mean, I, I completely take responsibility for part responsibility, shared responsibility for, for that. You know, we were paying too much for our print. We weren't negotiating. We weren't playing hardball with people who, mm. you know, if you a print buyer, <laughs> you play hardball. That's your yeah. job. You put on a yeah. suit. You go and see some print rep. You tell them they've got to do it for X grand. Mm. And if they don't, you're going to go somewhere else. You know, it's not, those are not skills I... The things that I ended up doing, actually, not out of choice, because someone had to do it. So what it meant was we were negotiating bad deals, we were paying too much, we, uh, we weren't paying ourselves too much, but we probably had too many staff. Mm. We'd take people on to do stuff, and we took on projects that were only going to lose money. Um, we were a bit fucked, really. So we basically um, just stripped down to back to what we knew best, which was just a few of us producing the magazine. <laughs> And just kept going and serviced our debts. We haven't played hardball. Mm. We haven't pretended to be people we aren't. We just said, you know, that's where we mm. are. You know, close us down. If you want to close us down, you can. Yeah. You know, you, you look like... So how did that work in terms of... You, you can't have a great cash flow budget then. How, how did that work in terms of bringing in, you know, people, uh, photographers, illustrators? Well, people. as you know, to your cost, we didn't have any budget at all. So we just produced things, you know, we... we Paid people 150 quid for an illo and still do, as you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, non negotiable rates. Um, and we pay 50 quid for a photo. If we do a photo shoot, we pay. Yeah. I do two photo shoots a month. That's the other thing, the other key visual thing actually that I really got into was photography. That was really well. Photography and illustration were the things that I really liked, assimilating imagery. I really loved black and white imagery, that's why I loved all the whole annuals. And I really got to love football photography. Mm. Um, but not really action photography, kind of a documentary. Yeah. Creative photography through football is what I was interested in. And that just developed really slowly, and it kind of became one of my, our things as well. The standout thing now on my Saturday comes, it's one of the things I got straight to, is the is the... the Photo features. On, you yeah, know, no, I think it's beautiful. There's so many um, detail or nuances that you see. That anything from a non-league ground to Premier League ground, there's just so much culture there. That it's, I think yeah. it's. I think it's something well, that sets it apart. I'm glad you glad said that. I mean, that's really that's what my thing is. Really, that, obviously, mm. that's where I arrived. Well, we were an accidental business. We rolled the, we rolled the debt period. We ran the business in. Local rich came in and started running, being the publishing was running. Everyone moves to South East London eventually, as you know. Um, my mate Rich who lives around the corner he became publisher in the 1990s we yeah. didn't really have a publisher and he was actually came from I think he'd done he'd done languages at college but he'd done it at a business school so he wasn't wanting to be a writer or he wasn't like a frustrated he wasn't like <laughs> he wasn't like a meandering creative type so the irony is now I mean I, I as part of that kind of coming process I left the magazine about 10 about um, in 1998 I was there for 10 years mm. uh, so I said well I'm actually going to I said I'm actually going to leave but I'm going to go freelance so I want to can I come I'm going to come back and do the layout I, say, yeah. I reckon I can do it in two weeks sent back on loan for the season that's exactly what it was, <laughs> exactly was. contract negotiations were not <laughs> it weren't hard nosed let's say yeah. so I just said look I'm leaving and I want to I, I realised that I actually really enjoyed graphic design and I really enjoyed typography and, and photography and illustration and I realised that I had to sort of try and develop a little bit as a person my own personal I suppose I had to use the word career um, so I realised I'd have to make an effort to mm. do something else as well. I couldn't, it was a chubby of a charmed life, the way it all yeah. worked, come together by accident. So it was really good. But I was, by then I was, th- I was 30, so I had to almost start. I remember it was quite a chasing experience. I would go to John Brown Publishing or IPC and EMAP and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a designer. Got to get any work. And they'd say, oh, yeah, when's that? luckily when Saturday comes out, a lot of 
you know, good good kudos about it, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. where's that comes from? You know, yeah, yeah, you can, we've got some work for you. And then you come in and you be doing some shit job at, with all due respect. Yeah. It was like a step down from it. He was like, oh, God, I've got to lay out this fucking horrible magazine for mm. IPC or something. And it was like... But it was good, because then I sort of saw what it takes from the more corporate side of publishing. Yeah. So I think what I was... I was quite lucky. I managed to get enough work that I then really, really appreciated the value of what I'd done at When Saturday Comes, because that was quite organic. So what I was then able to do, I was really lucky. People wanted... I was able to turn my skill, the skills I've learned with graphic skills or whatever, into doing books and stuff. So I could still do the things I loved, but there would be a bit more long term, mm. a little bit more immersive projects. Yeah. And it's funny, you get, even if you don't want it, you probably found this as well, you get a reputation, you get a reputation for something. Yeah. And then you can't escape it. And for a while, sometimes it annoys you. And I remember thinking sometimes, oh, I really would really love to do something that isn't football. Yeah. Just because I've done so much football, you know, then but now I think, well, that's great because I'm go-to man. If yeah. it comes to me, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Where do you think it's heading now then, in terms of uh, football, you know, content? I mean, I mean, I mean, when Saturday comes, it's bit, uh, it seems to be this uh, something of a rock in amongst quite a changing environment now. I mean, I, I've got two friends. One is both works at the big issue. One was art director. One was designer. One's still there as designer, and they've launched Eleven magazine, which is an app-driven, beautifully designed magazine. And now within that interface, you've got um, you've got traditional illustration. You've got slightly animated areas. There's a, a quiz with interactive answers. Um, YouTube clips are now you know that are referred to in these editorial articles are now there to play yeah, if you're yeah. online, which is it's actually quite a, it's quite a cool thing and it's really kind of yeah. new. Like, does, is it is it moving that way? Do you think? Or do you think? I think there's still a demand for print and people. Um, you know, the more digital things get, people double back on that, don't they, and want, and want something that's yeah. hands hand If I could answer that question, then I would know where the business was going in the next 10 uh, years. Yeah, I'll be a very lucky man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's a small market for print, but it's niche. But luckily, when Saturday comes, it would have been niche. So it hasn't... Mm. I mean, I'm not done count out chickens. The magazine breaks even, you know, yeah. at best. So it's not... And it's, sales aren't going up. No. It's got quite a traditional readership base. Uh, amongst people who probably still quite like old-fashioned magazines, but yeah. private eye or whatever. So there's always room for something which is slightly left field. Yes. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the marketplace, it's it's out of time. It's out of time and out of place. There's there is uh, in terms of I mean, really, we don't have. If we had the resources, you're right. That's what the magazine should be. It should be, you know, and it's it. And that's the WC website is that's more to some extent. Yeah, it's offering an alternative, isn't it? Yeah, so without it's, breaking. It's, it's a bit like a what my sense comes has always been is a platform for for right thinking and right speaking people to put forward a slightly different view on independent view. Mm. So if it's a magazine or it's a website or it's a, an app, or whatever, it's really the actual, it's the kind of mindset that's important. So obviously, a mindset doesn't necessarily pay the rent. So you have to be you're right. It should maybe be something else. But I don't know. But, uh, there's, mm. a, there's a there's a it's a niche thing still. Yeah. The odd thing in football's gone quite a full circle now. People are really pissed off with football now, uh, which oddly is what it's, it was like in the eighties when we started. I, because I, I don't really. It's, it's, you're priced out. Your clubs getting yeah. the kit shit. They've been um, some mad owners trying to change the name of the team. <laughs> yeah. You're moving to a new stadium, which is. Bland, right? or if you yeah. support a big team, the owners, I mean, Leeds have been fucked over how many times. Um, people are clinging on, fans are clinging on to football as a social thing. Uh, and a whole new generation of people are coming in who are kind of leisure seekers, if you like. You know, Manchester City are owned by 
Do you buy it? You know? Yeah. Uh, United or Arsenal. Yeah, America, Russia. It's all big business. They're not, you know, their attachment to their local community is the risk of being completely erased. Um, so, yeah, it is. And it's a sad thing. Well, the interesting thing is, I think there might be a new, I think there is a new generation of people coming through who still love football, they don't like, and they come to it, because they've inherited it from people my age, from their dads or whatever, mm. and they think, you oh, know, I can't actually afford to go to any games, yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to get told to sit down and not sing or something. Mm. I don't know, the, the th- I think there's a new generation of things to be unhappy about with football, because it, it is... Well, there is. And, uh, and oddly, that's why the magazine started. So how cool was that? Massive story, really... Um... Doug, you know, was really kind to spend that time with me and, and take me through his personal journey and the story of when Saturday comes and how it survived from a fanzine in 1986 right through to a quite torrid publishing industry here in 2016. And I hope more power to the guys and I hope that they continue to make the magazine a success and get the readers. Um, there's only so much you can get from digital media, I find, and I think it's nice to pick up a printed magazine and, and something you can have full ownership and you know, quite old school, sit there and read and switch off from digital noise, which we're all overexposed to now. Uh, get us your thoughts. Any football stories, very welcome. Any magazine design stories, editorial stuff, want to hear it all, want to hear your feedback as ever. Uh, look forward to hearing from you guys at Arrest or Mix on Twitter, uh, facebook.com forward slash Arrest or um, Hashtag Arrest on the Mix. I've been throwing that around recently. So if you want to tag us in any Instagram posts, get any show suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, go ahead and do that. We've got some awesome shows coming up in the next few weeks, as ever. Uh, we're going to bounce right from football to the next episode, which will be with Victoria Pierce and Jacqueline Bissett, uh, who are very entrenched in the world of fashion design and fashion illustration. So that's a real corker as well, another sort of specialist subject. Um, maybe a nice kind of balance to the football theme of this episode. So for anybody that I might have pissed off running out football, hopefully fashion is more your thing. <laughs> we'll see. But it's a good show and there's a hell of a lot to learn from that one. Uh, Vicky and Jackie have worked together in the world of fashion illustration, design and fashion agenting representation for many, many years. And Jackie recently worked at the BAFTAs. Uh, sketching all the people there on the night, what an, what an awesome gig, and travelling all over the world, creating her signature loose style of inky fashion illustration. So look out for that one. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thanks again to Doug Cheeseman, and thanks for listening in as ever. Really loving your support at the moment. We're growing slowly but surely, growing on the social platforms. Thanks as ever for listening. Cheers. Uh, don't forget to check out the back catalogue, and I will speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. You've been listening to a rest